Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Two, Mike Vicara is in for Blake Berman hosting The Hill. Coming up. See you then. Hello and welcome to The Hill on News Nation. Michigan, Michigan, Michigan. It's one of just a handful of make or break states come November. And that is where President Biden is right now wooing a key voting bloc, even as he faces protests from some former supporters in the Great Lakes state. And it's all there in black and white. In just two days, Biden faces his first head-to-head ballot challenge. His name will appear on the ballot in South Carolina, not as a write-in this time, but alongside challenger Dean Phillips. This as Phillips fights his own party in states like Wisconsin, where officials won't allow his name to even appear on the ballot. In just moments, we'll speak to Phillips himself about his fight to unseat a sitting president of his own party. Plus, suburban women and the gender gap. New data brings up old problems for the Trump campaign. Can the former president make up ground with this vital voting block? And is the fate of Boeing 737 MAX still up in the air? New claims that the planes are not safe. So what is the government doing about it? Thanks for being with us here on The Hill. I'm Mike Vaccaro, sitting in today for Blake Berman. I'm joined today by Amisha Cross, Democratic strategist and Obama campaign advisor. Nick Mulvaney, former Trump White House chief of staff, and he is, of course, a News Nation contributor. Ashley Davis, former George W. Bush White House official and employee number one at the Department of Homeland Security, and Ford O'Connell, former Trump campaign surrogate. On the Hill, right now on News Nation, starts right now. Okay, this afternoon, President Biden is back on the campaign trail in the key swing state of Michigan. The president rallying with members of the United Auto Workers Union just a short time ago. Biden won that key UAW endorsement just last week. Look, we now have an organized labor, the strongest economy in the whole damn world. We do. We do. The whole That was just moments ago in the key swing area of Macomb County in Michigan. And right now, an average of state polls shows former President Trump with a four-point lead over the current president, Joe Biden. Okay, panel, how difficult, difficult will it be for President Biden to turn this thing around in what we all know is one of the three, along with Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, perhaps most important states in this coming election? It's going to depend on what happens in the ongoing Israeli war with Palestine. 
and in, really? in Gaza. And they say that because, well, one, Michigan not only is a, a battleground state, but one that has a very prominent Democratic governor and a very strong state Democratic party. However, Michigan also has a 300,000-plus Muslim and Arab population. Those people want to see a more humanitarian effort right. as, as the war rages on. They also want an answer from this administration to what appears to be war crimes, and they're calling on the president to do something. Okay, I just want to point out, and I know we're going to talk about the, you know, every voting block in a state like Michigan is vital, right, no matter how large or small. But, but let's look at the history of Michigan. Of course, famously in 2016, President Trump won by 10,700 votes. That's a margin of about a quarter of a percent. And in 2020, Joe Biden, uh, he beat Hillary Clinton. In 2020, Joe Biden turned around and beat Trump uh, with a margin of 2.8%. So razor-thin margins here. And, Mick, we're talking about that Arab-American vote. You noted before the show that the White House was very careful on the eve of this trip to make an announcement to please that voting block. Actually, a couple of announcements. They announced they were they were leaked out that they were considering recognizing Palestine as a state. And they also announced that they were going to issue sanctions against any Israelis uh-huh. who attack Palestinians in Gaza. So the two sops to sort of the Palestinian-American voting block. But then I'm reading today that Joe Biden is going to Michigan and not meeting with the Palestinian-Americans while he's there. Well, some of them didn't even want to meet with him. They uh, called off a meeting with them, or his surrogates. But to go and to not meet with folks, that's as, almost as much as a snub as not going. So I, I'm not sure they're handling this as well as they possibly could. Well, just the other voter block that he has an issue with that's a little softer in some of these polls is the union vote. I right. mean, he, that used to be something, especially four years ago, that he had locked solid, and it softened over the last two years, I would well, say. Well, I mean, traditionally, of course, and we talked about this yesterday, I know you did with Blake, about his visit next door to the Teamsters. Uh, the Democrat, the union used to be a key Democratic constituency, could be relied on rock solid. Obviously, the rank and file, it's not that way anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, let me say this. In the 21st century, no Republican presidential nominee has ever had this kind of polling lead. Remember, in 2016, when Trump won it by 11,000 votes, he never once led in that poll. And to Ashley, makes a very good point. Yes, Okay, Biden did get the UAW endorsement. Sean Fain cut a backdoor deal. That's the president of UAW, because when you look at exactly why the UAW struck against Ford, GM, and Stellantis, it's because of Biden's policies. His push for electric vehicles and his war on American energy were actually going to eliminate their jobs over time. So right now, Biden's got an uphill battle in Michigan because his economy and his policies are killing Michigan. Okay, well, I mean, he's been there four times in the last two years, two times in the last two months, I believe. Once, well, I guess it was a little bit earlier in the fall last year uh, to walk that picket line, becoming the first president ever to walk the picket line. So obviously the White House recognizes how important that is. Okay, from Michigan, we turn now to the Middle East. Of course, it's related. We're talking about the war in the Middle East and how it's affecting voters in Michigan. Uh, President Biden's response to the attack that killed three American soldiers looms over the region right now on pins and needles. Today, there are reports that that response will take place over weeks, perhaps even months risking widening the conflict and drawing the U.S. deeper into something that the president has been trying to avoid. He said it time and time again. So with us now is Republican Representative Brad Wenstrup of Ohio. He is a member of the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence. Congressman, thanks very much for joining us. On Tuesday, President Biden said he had decided on how to respond. And now we're seeing reports that this could be a longer campaign. One report says even two months uh, I'm wondering how you react to that, and do you think the, the Biden administration is taking too long now uh, to respond to something that happened over the weekend? Yeah, well, I do think it's too long, and it's been too long for a while. If you look at the attacks that have taken place since October 7th on U.S. interests, U.S. military, 160 times, uh, we're, what are we waiting for? 
uh, when you know that it is Iran that is behind these militias, behind Hamas, Hezbollah, and Houthis. See, they're funding them. They're providing the training. They're providing uh, dollars and the weapons as well. So this has gone on for some time. And I'll take it back even further, to be honest with you. Uh, this is since 1979. I mean, Iran is not going to change as long as it has its current regime. I don't understand why even under the Obama administration and the Biden administration, there yeah. were efforts in many ways to appease. You have to act swiftly if you're going to deter. Look, uh, under the Trump administration, we took out Soleimani. I heard some people in Democrat uh, circles, especially higher up, say we shouldn't have done that. It made them mad. Well, haven't they made us mad since 1979? Uh -huh. This is going on forever. So you got to act swiftly when you do this. I, I serve in the military. You want to be a deterrent. You got to make sure they know that something's going to happen. And just playing whack-a-mole or something yeah. like that doesn't send the message that needs to be heard because this has been going on for decades. All right. Well, let me ask you about that, Congressman. Congress, just last night, we saw the United States take out some drone attacks that were being launched from Houthi territories, territory, according to the Pentagon. Uh, so it just seems as though uh, the more we lob those tomahawks, the more we attack the Houthi sites, the launch sites with drones, it doesn't seem to be helping. As a matter of fact, it seems to be playing into Houthi hands. So how would you suggest that the United States and President Biden respond to Iran without being drawn further into a conflict that Iran and its proxies seem to want? Well, yeah, they do seem to want it, and they're doing everything they can. So what can you do to get them to stop? Well, why not, why not make sure that the mothership feels it? And I think that they're vulnerable in, in many ways. I mean, if you look, we just gave them a warning about a terrorist attack, and guess what? The terrorist attack occurred anyway. Uh, so they're going to have to feel some at the, at the mothership. You can play whack-a-mole with the baby moles, but if you don't go after the parents at some point and tell them enough is enough, you can warn them all you want, but you're going to have okay. to do something. Because right now they have no fear. Uh, Congressman, it, it, there are reports today that uh, from the U.N. nuclear watchdog, the IAEA, says Iran has slowed down production of en enriched uranium. Do you, what do you make of that? Do you think Iran is just doing that for show, or do you think they're, they're really feeling the pinch now from the United States and the United, American military and allies attack on some of Iran's allies and proxies throughout the region? I think that may be manipulative, but I don't know for sure. Uh, if they've slowed that down, that could be a strategy just to give a different signal. But look, we know their ambitions. They've been there. They make no bones about it, really. And I think that we are in a much dangerous place in this world if they do uh, achieve a nuclear weapon, because it looks like they will do whatever they can, especially if they can do things through their proxies, which they are doing. Uh, at some point, we have to let them know the United States is not going to stand for this anymore. How, how much should it take? You know, how many times do you let somebody punch you before you punch them back and really punch them back? We lost three lives in Jordan, uh -huh. and we're going to sit around and, and wait? Well, I'll tell you what, when I served in Iraq, you take out one of our guys, we're swift. We're swift in finding who did it and making sure that we retaliate. That's the only way that All you right. can determine going forward. All right, Congressman Westrop, thank you very much for joining us today. Appreciate it very much. I want to turn to Amisha, you first. Uh, there is a concern, obviously, the president has said it many times, of being drawn into a conflict. And yet, as the congressman said, you know, in his view, they punch you, they kill three American soldiers in Jordan, uh, there to fight ISIS and other elements within the, within the Middle East. What's taking so long? 
being pragmatic, understanding what is happening on the ground, um, intelligence, as well as not wanting to not only start a grander war, but recognizing that this conflict has been something that they've been trying to drag us into for quite some time now. And that um, the least thing that we want to do now at a time when Americans are forcibly saying we do not want never-ending wars, something that Republicans were actually saying on the pullout of Afghanistan as well, this is not something that I think he is you know what's missing. You right. know what's missing in these plans, though? <clears throat> so they're talking about attacking Iran proxies outside of Iran, but not inside of Iran. What goes into that calculation? Oh, all sorts of risks and balancing. So I, I think Abisha is probably right. I, I'm not one of those Republicans who's watching the clock. I don't say, well, it's been four hours or eight hours or three days. Or, I, I want to know what we actually do uh-huh. ultimately. I think that's going, to, that's going to be the much more important thing over when it happens is what happens. But what the administration is learning is that responding is always messier and riskier and yeah. more dangerous than deterring. It just is. They're paying a price now for not doing things before October 7th. Okay. I've got to move on now. Okay, Ashley, I'm gonna, yeah. we can come back no, to it later. I just need to make sure that we don't look weak, though, at the same time. I think which I think Ashley's exactly. right. Look yeah. at that. That's yeah. twice. So there's prudence, and then there's deterrence, and then there's... But I think whether or not we're judged weak will be judged Look, you got to go after the Iranian Revolutionary Guard, and if you don't do it, they're going to keep doing this. Okay, let's turn back to the campaign trail. Today, we learned Donald Trump's campaign spent more than he raised in 2023, and that spending was largely driven by the former president's legal expenses. (laughs) Rival Nikki Haley hit him on that this afternoon. Our campaign reports have come out, and he's used $50 million of his campaign funds on legal fees. Do you really think he's going to win against Joe Biden when he's spending all of that money on legal fees? He's not. Okay, fresh polling, however, from South Carolina shows that the former governor, Nikki Haley, has a big deficit of her own to make up in her home state. Not a financial one, more perhaps, but certainly in the polls. Uh, You guys, I I would want to put forward the following forward to you, that those expenditures to lawyers are the way the president, former president is playing this, they're almost like campaign expenditures because he's using these court appearances as, as quasi-campaign appearances. Well, he is using those court appearances to his best advantage politically, but yeah. at the same time, they are drawing resources. $50 million is nothing to sneeze at, and that's why when he says that these partisan political trials, these four trials, or election interference, you can see it right there. It is draining resources from his campaign. But as it result, you know, relates to Nikki Haley, she has no chance of winning the Republican presidential primary. Not only does she have no chance of winning the Republican presidential primary, she's not even going to win a state if she stays in the entire time. This is over. Trump needs to move on to the general election. And Ashley, Nikki Haley, and I know that you, uh, you have... I guess you support Nikki Haley, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm a Republican, too, at the end of the day. But, right, yes, but she's amped up her tax, attacks against President Trump. Why now? Why not earlier? Well, I think now, because it's a two-person race, whether you agree or not, right. she's still in it. And There's he's only still two in names it. So, in the ballot. So she is going um, directly against him. She's raising money, a lot of money, since New Hampshire, even though she did lose by... 10, 11 points. And so there's no reason for her to get out. And I think that if you look at the polls that we're going to talk about, the, she beats Joe Biden hands down, and he does not. Right. And so it's well, very that's not true at all. That is not that's, that's, true that's at all. That's true in general. Obviously, she would have to win the Republican Correct. primary. No, but it's it not true at all. It's Actually, not, the decision yes, desk, polling aggregate, polling average, RCP, every single one has Trump ahead of Biden by more than Nikki Haley. And if you look at the Bloomberg Morning Consult, he's winning all seven battleground states. It is not true that Nikki he's Haley is a, a better general. He's got a problem with younger voters. He cannot be better than voters. That is not true. He is still doing better than she is. 
needs That's to make that happen for him to even be competitive. He's doing better than she is, and we got to stop that right, media Let's narrative. turn to somebody whose name has actually appeared on a ballot in South Carolina. Vic <laughs> Mulvaney, what do you say? Um, she's going to have to close the gap. She does. 26 points is, 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 a, is a loser for her. We talked about this a little bit yesterday on the show that if, if she, she set herself on television this weekend that she has to do better in South Carolina than she did in New Hampshire. She lost New Hampshire by 11. If she does better than 11, that's, that's, a, that's a win, and she gets to move on to Super Tuesday. Okay. If she loses by 26, she's not only out of this race, she's probably out of 2028. 20, right. What just, happens when talk, she loses Nevada by 100%? Can we talk about... Yeah, but that's the caucus. Go ahead, Ashley. No one cares about it. No, I just want to say that every single poll has had her down so much going into each day, and she has been able to make it up. I don't know if she can make up 26 points or 16 points or whatever it is, but every, what was she down in New Hampshire originally? Here's the difference. Like 30. You're absolutely right, but here's the difference as I see it from South Carolina, which is that actually in New it. Hampshire, no one knew who she was. In Iowa, she got a chance to educate people. In South Carolina, they already That's know. They, they, they know Trump. They know Haley. The people that just filled out that, that polling know these candidates, yeah. Yeah. and right it's, now, she's losing by 26. That's fair. All right. Coming up, as Washington battles over the border crisis, immigration courts are struggling with a crisis of their own. Hundreds of thousands of cases are backlogged as migrants continue to pour into the U.S. We are live in Florida to see the problem firsthand. And did you see this? Elon Musk takes his company's humanoid robot for a walk that is freaking me out. Is it creepy or is it cool? We'll discuss it when the Hill returns. <laughs> Welcome back. As the standoff between the state of Texas and the federal government continues, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is now vowing to help. DeSantis announced today that up to 1,000 Florida National and State Guard troops will be deployed. Goal is to help Texas fortify this border, help them strengthen the barricades, help them add barriers, help them add the wire that they need to so that we can stop this invasion once and for all. As migrants pour across the border, the backlog of immigration cases is growing by the day. With the Sunshine State leading the nation, News Nation senior national correspondent Brian Anton is live in Miramar, Florida, with more on this problem. Brian, you've been getting a firsthand look at what seems to be an impossible situation. Yeah, it certainly does feel impossible, Mike. You know, you always hear that saying that every state is a border state. Uh, and working on this story, you realize it right away. This is the ICE office behind me in Miramar. It's, it's in this office park, which is right outside Miami. Quiet tonight, obviously, because it's late. But you come out here during the day, uh, and you can see in the video, there are long lines of migrants. I mean, lines that wrap around the parking lot. Uh, and the reason for that is the migrants come across the border, uh, the, U- the U.S.-Mexico border, and then they go out to all the states where they have friends or family or where they want to live. The ones who come here to Florida, they're told then to come to these offices and check in, that they have appointments to check in. But the problem we found is when many of the migrants show up, Mike, there's no appointment. They're not even in the system. Mm. They're told they have an appointment, but the system is so backlogged they find out that they don't even exist uh, in the system and they're just turned away. Uh, and the same situation is happening at the immigration courthouses. Uh, there's just not enough judges. The numbers are staggering. Three million uh, cases nationwide in the backlog. Mm. 500,000 mm. in Florida. With some of these judges, they have 10,000 immigration cases for one judge. 
How is one judge supposed to handle mm. 10,000 cases uh, and handle those cases in the right way? And this is perhaps the craziest thing I heard over the last two days working on this. Uh, when they come across the border, the migrants, many times the first court date they will get is in 2027. That's the oh soonest God. they can even get to court uh, because there are so many uh, cases, Mike. Well, I mean, by any objective standards, this is a crisis situation when people are in the country for years without being able to get into the court uh, to, to get this problem adjudicated. Brian Enton, thank you very, very much. Okay, now, for some frustrated Texans, the lone and lone star state is taking on a potentially literal meaning. Take a look at this headline from the Texas Tribune. Texas' standoff with the federal government in Eagle Pass is igniting calls for, wait for it, secession and even fears of violence. Republican presidential candidate Nikki Haley is weighing in and says Texans can secede from the United States if it wants to, but she doubts it'll ever happen. If Texas decides they want to do that, they can do that. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that if, if that whole state says we don't want to be part of America anymore... I mean, that's their decision to make. Let's talk about what's reality. Mm -hmm. Texas isn't going to succeed and secede. I mean, that's not something that they're going to do. Okay, Ashley, you know, as we mentioned, you're close with Governor Haley, Ambassador Haley. So what is it about the echoes of the Civil War that keep haunting and coming back to Nikki Haley in this campaign? Well, I, I think this is a little bit different. I mean, this is something that Texas has been saying for quite a long time, and I just heard you say that South Carolina's... I mean, when, when states get... I think California's wanted to do this, but I think what she was really saying is it's a state, state's rights issue, whether that's true or not, if they can really do that, but also she's saying in reality it's not going to happen. But can I just go back to the other segment of 500,000 migrants? Yeah, sure. Those are the ones we know about that yeah. came into Florida yeah. that are actually trying to follow the law and get a court the getaways, as what about it. the getaways and the ones that are never going to show up and the ones that are here to harm us i Look, just think it's insane having spent a lot of time in texas okay texas the idea of texas leaving no this has been going on for decades the right. difference though right now is to stand off an eagle pass over shelby park which is bad news for the biden administration when i look at the polls 61 percent of swing state voters say biden is primarily responsible for the border that plus immigrant that plus inflation are going to make donald trump the 47th if, if president if republicans came together republicans came together worst, for a very significant the most significant immigration bill that this nation has ever seen and they came to the table not and they true. were willing not to, true. and they were willing to stand by it. You can close the borders and we can work on these problems now. What's in the bill? The authority for the president to no, no, close no, no, the border. Nobody knows. No, no one knows. Nobody knows. No, 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 rejected out of hand. We know what's not in there. The worst December that former President Trump wants to see happen. The worst December under Trump was 50,000. Under Biden, 302,000. No difference in the policies of the laws. We haven't seen the bill yet. I don't know if we're ever going to see the bill. I cringe when people say this is the greatest bill ever. I'm like, it's not even out yet. Well, okay. All right. Yeah. Correct. I got to wrap. Got to wrap. This means wrap. Yep. Got to wrap. All right. We're turning now to Mark Zuckerberg. Zuckerberg and Meta, the company reporting fourth quarter earnings just hours ago, beating analyst estimates. The company also announcing that for the first time ever, a dividend payment and a $50 billion share buyback. The news of boasting shares of Meta, that news is boosting shares of Meta by nearly 15% in after hours trading right now. This follows Zuckerberg testifying yesterday with other major social media CEOs at a Senate hearing on protecting teens and children online. He apologized dramatically to parents present at the hearing who say their children were harmed by social media. 
Would you like now to apologize to the victims who have been harmed by your product? Show them the pictures. Would you like to apologize for what you've done to these good people? I, 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 I'm sorry for everything that you've all been through. It's terrible no one could actually go through the things that your families have, have suffered. I mean, Mick, you cover Congress, you're a member of Congress, sometimes, you, you know, you're surprised. You thought, I'd, I'd never, I've never seen anything like that in a hearing room. Neither have I. Um, but it's also the second day in a row we're playing it, which means that this is the type of thing sure. that, that, okay. that people are... I wasn't here last night. No, but no. But, no, 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 no. <laughs> but, but that's my point exactly. That's how dramatic this was. It's, it's, a, it's now not just a 24-hour news cycle. This is a, okay. this, the second day. That was a powerful uh, okay. thing. So what is Congress going to do about it? Not a damn thing. Nothing. That's exactly <laughs> right. Not a damn thing. The only good thing about this dividend is my 401k says hot damn thanks to <laughs> All right. All right. Did you see this? Elon Musk, speaking of billionaires, taking to his social media platform X to share the latest development from Tesla's humanoid robot Optimus. Now walk. The advancement of artificial intelligence and robotics has been received with mixed reviews, but Musk remains optimistic. I think the mission effectively does, does somewhat broaden with the advent of Optimus uh, to, uh, you know, I don't know, Making the future awesome. I think Optimus is going to be incredible in like five years, ten years, like mind-blowing. All right, Optimus, the Transformer, Optimus Prime. I got kids. I know all about this stuff. <laughs> According to Tesla, the robot is meant to perform tasks that are unsafe, repetitive, or boring. Panel, okay. I'm supposed to ask you. <laughs> I any room, I any room for robots in Congress? I mean, he looks Maybe like he walks like a robot. Right. But I feel like Congress, they're, they're, well, not Congress, but there are people in state houses who are already using AI to do their jobs. Um, if, if there was an opportunity, I don't think that, you know, considering that Congress isn't doing much these days anyway, would it be horrible to have a robot in Congress? Uh, all right. <laughs> Anyone? No, I just, if that thing can do my laundry or cook, I'm all There you it. go. By the way, and that's a really good point, because what you're going to see, one of the reasons this is, is such a tremendous opportunity is that a lot of the Western world, a lot of the developed world, doesn't have enough people. Okay? Uh -huh. and they're going to be looking for, for ways to... So that ties things. into a lot of it. And, and, and then how long yeah. until the it robots control the people? Jobs. Yeah. Like, that was always, I always thought it was crazy that robots, like, people would say, oh, robots are going to replace people. Yeah. Thanks to Elon Musk, that might happen. Yeah. All right. All right. There's still much more ahead on the Hill, including the Democratic presidential nomination. Dean Phillips is challenging President Obama, but faces a fight just to get on the ballot in some states. How long will he stay in the race? I'll talk to him live after the break. Plus, maximum scrutiny. Boeing faces major safety issues after a door plug ripped off mid-flight last month. Is the government doing enough? And why former Boeing engineers say they wouldn't even get on a Max airplane. That's next. For the first time, President Biden will face a challenger whose name will be printed on the same ballot as they face off in this weekend's South Carolina Democratic primary. He is Minnesota Congressman Dean Phillips, who's challenging Biden for the Democratic Party nomination. And he joins us now live. Congressman, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, off the campaign trail. Let me let me hit you right off the bat here. You have voted with the president and the Democratic Party as a member of the House the vast majority of the time. So why are you running against him? Well, Mike, thanks for having me, first of all. And I'm running against him because the country is very clear right now. It's time to turn the page. Uh, people recognize uh, that we have two leaders of the past. And look, at, I think Joe Biden's a good man and has done a nice job 
I think Donald Trump is a dangerous man. That's the truth. But I'll tell you, it is time for a uniter in chief. Our country is being pulled apart at the seams. You just had a segment about Texas and secession. Uh, we have chaos and dysfunction in the House. We need leadership, a new generation. I think it's time for change. I'm hearing that all around the country. Uh -huh. I love my Republican brothers and sisters and my Democratic brothers and sisters, Mike. And you know what? Competition is required in democracy. We cannot have coronations. And that's why yeah. I'm in this race. I think it's time for a new generation, and we've got to do better. And that's what I'm trying to bring. Okay, I think your critics would say you're talking about turning the page, but you're not talking about turning the page to the next chapter. They would say that you are weakening the current president and you risk turning the page back to 2017 to 2021 and a Trump presidency. How would you respond to that? Yeah. Well, I would respond with the facts, which is just the opposite. The Democratic National Committee right now seems to want a reprise of 2016. We know this is the weakest president, uh, incumbent president in modern history. Just today, CNN published uh, January approval numbers from every president going back to Truman. The lowest in history right now is Joe Biden. He's losing in the battleground states. And I'm telling you, I'm not going to sit down and be quiet when I see a train wreck happening. The only reason I'm in this business, Mike, is in 2016, the morning after that terrible election, uh, my daughters were sitting at the breakfast table with me. Uh, they saw, I saw fear in their eyes. I promised them I would do something. I'm not going to be quiet no matter what my party says right now because they are sleepwalking into disaster. And that's why. And by the way, yes, I voted a lot with my party, but I'm also the second yeah. most bipartisan member of the entire Congress. And I've got some bold plans to reduce costs and end the chaos at our southern border, in our cities and around the world. It's time for peacemaking, not war-making. It's time for a new generation to tackle All incoming right. problems. And I'm just afraid that men in their 80s are not ready to deal with. So it's an age issue, but uh, beside the age issue, what would you dif do different than the current Democratic president, I'll the leader you. of your party? Let me start with my boldest proposition, something called American Dream Accounts. The federal government would endow a $5,000 investment account for every baby born in America, three and a half million a year or so. It would grow over time. We would embed financial management and entrepreneurship in high schools and elementary schools. Kids would have an app on their phone to track their investments. It would compound at about 10% a year. The S&P has done that for 30 years. And as yeah. an incentive to graduate high school and stay on a good path, that money would become yours. Young people would start their lives with twenty dollars to $25,000. Everybody could become an owner of this yeah. economy, a down payment in a house, you know, that kind of thing. And it complements Social Security, which is for the end of your career. We need to invest in kids, pre-K education, health care, housing, and no debt education because we're burdening young people in this country that cannot get out from the weight of crushing debt. And that's not okay. the American dream that I knew and that you knew. Okay, that, you know, I covered the Clinton administration. That's very Clinton-esque in a way, kind of small bore yeah. uh, policy proposal. Mm -hmm. what, let me ask you about a bigger issue. What, what would you do about the border? Well, I've been there, first of all, Mike, it is an unmitigated, embarrassing, horrifying disaster. It's a human crisis. It is a national security crisis and now becoming uh -huh. a constitutional crisis. Okay. It is a would you failure crack down of, on of asylum multiple administrations. Seekers? What would I do? Would yes. you crack In down fact, on here's asylum what I would do. First of all, yeah. Mike, here's what I would do. I would change our asylum policy. Right now, we are providing the very incentive for migrants to cross the border that we have to change. We should be forcing asylum cases to be filed in your country of origin your home country at one of our consulates or one of our embassies. We would adjudicate the case there and then bring you to America if you qualify. But we are incentivizing 
people to make that arduous journey, spend their life savings of $10,000 or so per person with Mexican cartels, dumping them in the streets of El Paso, no way to work, don't know the language, and no money in their pockets, and then okay. being shipped to cities around this country. It's a disaster. It is a, it's frankly bad leadership. Bad leadership. Right. And that's what we've got to change. Uh, Congressman, I'm going to ask you a question, and, and this will be the last question. But the Republicans sure. famously have a, a pledge. If you're going to participate in the debate, you have to pledge to support the ultimate nominee of the party. Will you today pledge, you say you're a loyal Democrat, will you today pledge to support the ultimate nominee of your party for president? Assume, assuming Donald Trump is going to be the GOP nominee, which is becoming more clear by the day, the absolute answer is yes. But I think it's important to have competition in the meantime. I would invite and, frankly, d demand that my party have a thoughtful competition. It should be more than just me and President Biden and Marianne Williamson. We should have other next-generation potential leaders having debates, having town halls, energizing America, and the apathy. Instead, they want a coronation that's dangerous. But, of course, I'm going to support whomever is best positioned to defeat Donald Trump because I do think it is existential for democracy, and that is an, apparent, it's an imperative for all of us uh, to practice democracy at a time like this. All right, so the answer is yes. All right, thank you for your time. I guess South Carolinians will see you on the ballot in just two days' time on Saturday. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. All right. I'm going to turn to Amisha. What do you think? <laughs> Dave Phillips. Do you, do you buy the argument, though, that competition is essential for democracy? Yes, but he's not competition. This is a man <laughs> who is polling at less than 4% in South Carolina. He just had an event in Columbia where literally 12 people showed up. There's more people at my dinner table than that. Um, the things that he routed off. Uh, universal pre-K, um, lowering the cost of, of, of higher education. All of the things that he listed off in that package were literally the Build Back Better agenda. So a lot of this is things that Biden already ran on, things that he's talked about consistently. He's not bringing forth a new ideology or anything of that sort. The only thing he stands to do here, and it's not to siphon votes, is to try to get some name recognition. Because before he threw his name out there to run for president, nobody knew who so he was. So he's the Democratic version of Vivek Ramaswamy. Is, would you say? <laughs> well, he makes a good point. But I think what he's talking about is how weak is, Mick and I have discussed, how weak Joe Biden is as a general election candidate. He is the weakest person This is a man right who's polling at 3%. He is the man, I'm just saying, he's making a point that no other Democrat wants to say out loud. And he's wealthy enough to actually be able to make the point without it hurting him in the future Nick. of the party. Well, yeah, because he's funding his own campaign because he can't get any donors. All right, I want to go back to the uh, South Carolinian here. So, uh, and, uh, you know, I didn't serve with Dean Phillips, so I don't know him personally. Uh -huh. I saw that. That's very impressive. That was nice. That was a good presentation from McCann. talking about my questioning or his name? No, the whole thing. This is, this I like the baby IRA. This is a good conversation to have. It, but Cory time, Booker started the baby IRA conversation, by the way. Again, he's lifting a lot of ideas from other people. But it sounds Sorry. a lot better when he says Every it. time people stop me on the street and airplanes, whatever, I can't believe that Donald Trump and Joe Biden is the best yeah, we can exactly. get. I'm like, well, you have a choice. And the Democrats are choosing not to go with that, and the Republicans are choosing to go with Donald Trump. That's how it works. All right, coming up. <laughs> Nikki Haley is back out on the trail today, trying to make up ground in her home state of South Carolina as she ramps up her attacks on the frontrunner, former President Trump, who is now threatening her campaign donors. Mick Mulvaney has some inside information about she, how she's responding with, we're calling it Hot Mike with Mick. That's next. All right, can't wait. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. 
with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Experts are now issuing warnings about the plane. A new piece from the L.A. Times features interviews from former Boeing employees, including an engineer who says he would, quote, tell his family to avoid the MAX. He also says Boeing's current strategy to deal with the plane is like, quote, whack-a-mole, waiting for the next problem to pop up. Panel, the FAA cleared the plane to fly, uh, but whack-a-mole does not sound like something uh, you want to get on, you know, 30, in 35,000 feet. All right, so I, I, I'm an way. aviation buff, and I follow the industry okay, pretty closely. Great. So I read the story this morning, and then I go try to figure out who's saying this. And when you go click, do a search on the person who said he did want to fly the uh-huh. plane... He's also selling a book at the same time. Yes. So when you go to his website, horror of horrors. that's exactly right. So there may be a little self-promotion in this. He's also taking advantage to Mick's point of a lot of people's fear because, you know, in the air, you, you really want to work people over, get them nervous about flying. I mean, let's, let's be totally honest on that. But at the same time, though, Boeing has not been doing a good job reassuring people that everything's able. Well, I mean, let's be fair. I mean, Boeing's had some problems. That aren't new. That, yeah, that, that, have, that have plagued the place. And these aren't the first people that have stepped forward, book or, book or no book, Mick, as an aviation yeah. expert. You're aware of that. <laughs> it's, look, they have it difficult. There's no question. But when I, in the business we're in, I always like to know the sources of my information. And the source okay. of this information is somebody out there trying to sell a book. I get the, okay. I'm not defending Boeing. I'm just saying, eh. So bottom line. That makes me think twice. Is the FAA capable of addressing these problems? Yeah. Absolutely yeah, not, but that so. has nothing to do with Boeing. The <laughs> FAA is incapable of doing anything. That's not true. Uh, I don't oh, know. That is, that's 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 okay. Okay. That's as, somebody, as somebody who flies, and we all fly we, a lot. We fly a lot. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We all do. It's yes. pretty safe. It is. It's it very is safe. safe. I just don't trust the FAA is all I was saying. Well, it's not an indictment of Boeing. Based on what exactly? If you've well, seen the number of near air collisions we've had recently, there's a lot of things going on that the FAA needs to update to the 21st century, and it's way behind. All right, we've got a timeline here. Boeing facing maximum scrutiny. The timeline, March 2017, the FAA... The FAA, what would it? They certified the MAX. Oh, they certified the MAX, Max. right, yeah. in 2017. But then there have been problems with the MAX all along. I mean, there were major accidents in Africa and elsewhere. Listen, it's, it's, it's been rough for Boeing. There's no question. Their stock is, is, is struggling. United Airlines has come out and said they, don't, they can't count on Boeing to deliver these airplanes anymore. Right. But again, I'm just saying that sometime the truth is someplace in the middle. There's a lot of folks who want to frighten you into not flying this airplane okay. into flying your, into buying their books. All right, now, Mick. Let's turn to Mick. <laughs> Let's turn to our friend Mick. Didn't we just turn to Mick? Hot <laughs> Mike with Mick. A new segment here is, but all right. on the Hill at News Nation. <laughs> you got a text from Nikki Haley's campaign today saying, in case you missed it, Donald Trump says he will permanently bar you from the MAGA camp if you support Team Haley. Send him a message. And this is coming after Trump's thread on social media that reads, in, on Truth Social, I should say, that reads in part, we don't want them and we will not accept them. Mick? What did you think when you got this? So when I got the text, which is about an hour and a half before the show started, I actually thought it was from Donald Trump. I thought he was sending a, it was a grassroots. I'm on everybody's mailing list, right? Okay. I thought this was from Trump, and South Carolina's coming up, and I thought the message to, to the grassroots was, I'm Donald Trump, and I'm reminding you, if you support Nikki Haley, you're out of MAGA world, okay? You don't really know it's from Nikki Haley until you click on it. This is fascinating to me, and I'm curious to know what Ashley thinks, is that this, t- to me, 
tells me she's going full never Trump. She's this is it. She's she's going for broke okay. in this particular election. It's no longer sort of right. skirting the issue about attacking Donald Trump. I'm going to come to you in a second, Donald Ashley. Trump. I want to ask Ford. What does it mean to be out of MAGA world? Basically, it means to be out of the Republican Party. Remember, today, really? they, conservatives today, populist conservatives, it is all about Donald Trump. He's controlling the messaging. He's controlling the policy. And people are willing to ride and die with Donald Trump because they believe he has unfinished business. If I were Nikki Haley and I were going to send a text, what I would have said if I want to win South Carolina is that I got in, endorsed by Taylor Swift because that's about the only way she's <laughs> going right, to Ashley, win South Carolina. Why? <laughs> why did we bring the whole Taylor Swift up? Thank yeah, you. Right. PSA, but no, Taylor Swift has not made she, an endorsement. Uh, yeah. Not that any Anyone disagrees that the, the former president can say things that are somewhat polarizing, and I think it gets a lot of people upset. And she raised $4 million since he sent that text just on him saying that alone. So obviously she's going to use it again to raise some All right, money. so it's fair game. It is fair game, but it's also the die is cast. Um, it, it's all or nothing now. If she loses in South Carolina, she loses it all in 2024, she's probably finished in 2028 because the longer this it's goes political on... political suicide. The there only hope she has is that the Republican Party can somehow revise itself and bring back the old revise. Republican Party. But I will agree with Ford on this. Oh, this is the party, hey, whoa, this is the party of MAGA, <laughs> and all she has done is further isolate herself. We, we call it MAGA. Yeah, you're MAGA. giving it the European pronunciation. Yeah, Whatever they are, the party of crazies. MAGA. All right. Panel, thank you very <laughs> much. Thank you, Meg. Yeah, thank you. Very that. fun, as always. Coming up, first it was Colorado. Now Virginia could become the second state to ban legacy admissions at public universities. Is momentum growing nationwide to end this practice? I'll talk with the Arlone Leland Vitter. He's the host of On Balance. He's coming up after the break. Tomorrow, East Palestine, one year later. The massive train derailment. News Nation investigates the lingering concerns over health, homes, and the future. News Nation's not going anywhere. Cuomo tomorrow, 8, 7 central. Okay, before we go, Virginia is looking to be the second state to end legacy admissions for public universities. These in the Old Dominion, the Virginia legislature, is poised to pass a bill that would end preferential treatment for students related to alumni and donors. News Nation asked whether the state's governor, Glenn Youngkin, would sign the bill. His spokesman saying, quote, the governor will review any legislation that comes to his desk, but believes admission to Virginia's universities and colleges should be based on merit. Okay, I'm joined now by On Balance host Leland Vittert, and he joins us now to discuss it. That's a kind of a non-committal answer. Non-committal a little bit. Um, we'll see where Glenn Youngkin's kids end up going to school. <laughs> uh, but I think it, draw, it makes an important point, right? Because there's been so much discussion about whether race should play a role right. in college admissions. This is the flip side. Okay, if race shouldn't play a role, if young African-American kids don't get preference, yeah. well, then why should the kids of donors and alumni get preference. And, and that's kind of been the trade-off here. So there's a lot of pressure on these universities, say, to end race-based admissions and end legacy-based yeah. admissions. What's curious to me about this is, you know, uh, let's take Harvard, for example. It's got a $50 billion endowment. Right. So you're giving preferential treatment to people who presumably have given a lot of money. Do they need the money? Well, first of all, is, is the old joke about Harvard's endowment, right, is we don't need it. We just want it. <laughs> and uh, especially at Harvard, you've got a much better chance uh, multiple times better chance to get in if you are uh-huh. the, student, the, the son or daughter of an alumni. So it de facto perpetuates a system of privilege. Is that, is that, that the, the argument? That, the argument is it, it 
it perpetuates the system of privilege. The flip side of that argument is we're trying to create a community here, right? And people who are the sons and daughters of who've gone here understand the traditions and and believe in the same values we believe in. And that that should play some role in having people come to school here. Right. And so in Virginia, they want to do it across public universities, right? right? UVA is obviously a very prestigious school, but they don't want to limit to the UVA. It's anything that's funded by the public. Yeah, that, and, and that, again, it's public dollars. Right. And that's how the federal government right controls all these things. Okay, thank you, Leland. Uh, we're also looking forward to your interview with Republican Congressman Mark Green. He is a member.